Philippians this morning, the book of Philippians. Thank you for your ministry of support and prayer for Northwest Independent Church Extension. Uh, We appreciate that. We're starting a new year with lots of travel and visiting and encouraging churches and pastors, so pray for us if you would. As one of our ministers say, if you pray for us, great. Pray for us more often than you do. Uh, We appreciate that. But Philippians uh, chapter 4 this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, I've experienced a particular thing in my life at times, even in recent uh, last year, uh, last couple years. My guess is you have experienced it also. Uh, It is something that every one of us are born with. It is something that happens to us regardless of age or maturity in Christ. Uh, It happens to us whether we're rich or poor, young or old. Uh, Paul and Jesus commented on this particular thing uh, that affects even the followers of Christ. Uh, It is the tormenting, irritating thing we call worry and anxieties. There's a possibility you may have ended 2022, December 31st, with something that was troubling you by way of anxious thoughts or that which was worrying you, might even left you to the point of going into this year with panic upon your heart and your mind. It may be that you have uh, struggled a little bit uh, this year already and we're not that far into it. It could be that up till this morning you had not experienced anything like that and all of a sudden, even before you got to church, Maybe something caused panic and worry and anxiety to set in. Could be if you haven't faced it at all, I can almost guarantee before next week's over or six months or a year, you will experience something that comes along your way. It could be a situation in life. It could be a family matter. Uh, It could be all sorts of different things that will cause you to be anxious cause you to worry. I remember reading the following article that stated, and I quote, worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face daily problems and to fulfill our many responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste, unquote. Uh, It was interesting because when I went on to read the article, Uh, It it said this, uh, by way of an illustration, a woman who had lived long enough to have learned some important truths about life remarked, I've had a lot of trouble, most of which have never occurred. I think of that same thing when it comes to anxiousness and the things that we panic over. Uh, Some things do come, become reality, and we face those. There are many, many things that we are anxious over, and I can give you story after story of my own personal life where they never happened. But I really was anxious and worried that they were, and there was that possibility. And to the point where I often tell the story, and my wife's probably tired of hearing it, uh, I often wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with that panic thought, "Uh uh-oh. And uh, I have to really do some soul-searching and turn it, over to the Lord. It was John Piper, pastor and author, that suggests this, and I think this is important to remember. If I keep God himself central and lift him up week after week and do everything I can to make him, God, look and feel magnificent, 
Not that we have to do that. He is already, but I get his point. He says, that very issue will solve a hundred problems in my life that I did not even know was a solution to the problems. And if we are seeing him, God, as he is, and responding as we ought, there are a hundred things that will get worked out in our brains, in our hearts, and circumstances that would not have gotten worked out had we been presented with a lesser God, unquote. In other words, what Piper is telling us is that we need to have a high view of our magnificent, holy, righteous, powerful God and a lot less on our circumstances. But you know what we do? We flip those around and we magnify the difficulties and the things that panic us and then we forget that we have this God up there who is in absolute control of all things. And folks, the culture we live in, the lives we live, there's no doubt that worries and anxieties will plague us from time to time. And they have a huge impact uh, in our lives. We all face it, as I said. We all struggle with worries. We all face challenges that cause panic. It's what being human is all about. So we face those. So the question is this, and this is what I want to direct our thoughts to Because I think Paul gives us the answer to this question. But here's the question. How do we relieve anxieties? Now, we can go out and we can walk. We can exercise. We can kick the wall in or the door in. And we can do all sorts of things. We can sit and mope and get depressed. But is there really something that God helps us with that gives us direction and gives us some practical ideas of how to relieve those things that would burden us to the point of anxieties. And I I do believe there is. I believe the Apostle Paul chose to find joy in his God in spite of the circumstances. And believe me, he probably had many opportunities. And I'm one of the ones that believes he was not writing this just theoretically, just kind of, he didn't have anything else to do, so he picked out a subject and thought he'd write about it. I think he we're going to see that he dealt with what he talks about. He dealt with anxieties. He dealt with those panic moments. He dealt with those situations of life. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, I want to look at three ways to relieve our anxieties in life. And before we talk about these remedies, I guess you might say, let me share what I consider to kind of be the big picture of those few verses together and where I'm going. Here's my main idea. Anxious thoughts are relieved through an absolute abiding trust in God. Let me say that again. I think it's the the picture that Paul gives to us. And that that is this. Anxious thoughts are relieved through an absolute abiding trust in God. When anxious moment comes... That's the time we can do three things. Let me give you the outline, and then we'll go there. Number one, rejoice consistently. Number two, we need to pray fervently. And number three, we need to think biblically. All right? So first, we're exhorted here in verses 4 and 5 of Philippians chapter 4 to rejoice consistently in the midst of our anxiety. So if you have your Bible open, could I encourage you just to stand for a moment for the reading of God's Word? I, I want to read verses 4 through 9. Give you the flow, and then we'll come back and talk about these 
various points. But notice in verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, that's an interesting thought, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's anything excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and notice, seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen? You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the time to, to be in your word. We thank you uh, that you are a gracious and holy and righteous and caring God. And we thank you that you've allowed us this morning to open your book. Lord, may it be a delight to us, as the psalmist said. May we rejoice in its truth. May we find it to be a path that's lighted for us. Uh, and easily seen a direction that you would have us go. Help us, uh, Lord, to uh, be knowledgeable, and uh, because of that knowledge, uh, submit to you our very lives. Uh, Father, I pray even this morning that you would move me out of the way that we might hear from the Spirit of God, who is the guide into all truth the one who is to convict us, the one who is to encourage us, the one who is to comfort us. And we just thank you for the time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're first to rejoice consistently. As a matter of fact, if you, if you uh, have never thought about it this way before, in verses 4 through 9, if I remember right, there are seven commands that Paul gives here. Now, I'm not a genius, I never liked school much, but I figured out one thing. A command is something you are required to do. Okay, when I command my children to go clean their room, I'm not giving them a suggestion. Uh, I'm not giving them options. Uh, they are to go clean their room. So seven commands here, and I'm going to take all seven commands and just wrap them up into three areas that we might, so to speak, hang our hat on. And the first one is this rejoicing consistently, which is interesting because Paul commands it twice. If you don't get it the first time, the second time, you ought to get the point. Paul says rejoice consistently. And I know we might have that human tendency to say, but Paul didn't know what I went through. He doesn't know what I'm facing. Uh, I, I think the Spirit of God knows. And he says rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it, right? Uh, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, it's specific here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Underline that word. Box it. Do whatever you want. Put it in your mind. Always, 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 I should be rejoicing. And folks, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here being unsympathetic to situations. I know for some people, uh, and I know even in my own life at times, there are severe things we are going through. The Apostle Paul, who, who was uh, in prison, who was facing many different things in his life. Uh, if we read this testimony, you realize 
This guy lived very severe life. Probably went through things we will never, ever consider. And yet he says here, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Make that a part of your life to rejoice in the Lord. Interesting thought that he gives here. Now, why should we rejoice consistently? Well, number one, because I've already kind of hinted at it, it's not an option. Okay? It's not an option. It's not multiple choice, A, B, or C. It's commanded here. As a matter of fact, in the New American Standard Bible, which I am using this morning, at least 14 times in this book, Paul talks about rejoicing or being joyful. Equally as true is another subject that we often don't think about, and that's the subject of unity. You can read from chapter 1 to chapter 4, and you'll read this subject of unity. Be of the same mind. Get along with one another. Do this. Do that. All kind of indicating we need to be unified. Unified as Christians as we're facing the world. And we're battling together that which is around us. Be unified. And it's interesting to me how Paul uses those two almost in tandem with one another. To be unified and to rejoice together. Because it's very difficult to be joyful if you're in disunity. I have yet to walk into a church that's divided and split and having all kinds of problems, and realize that they're happy and they're joyful with one another. They're not. And that's very interesting because in chapter 4, verse 1, previous to the verses we just read in verse 4, there were two ladies in the Philippian church that were not getting along together. They were not in harmony. And Paul goes on within three verses to say, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because there is a correlation of those two working together. We need to rejoice. But what does that mean? Because our first implication is we want to jump to the thought of happy, and this situation is not making me happy. It has got me panic, laying awake at night, waking up with sweat, not sure how things are going to work out. Trying to wonder, how can I get it? worked out. Well, let me give you a description of somebody's view of joy, because I think it's right on the money. And I quote, this author says, joy is not a feeling. So just stop right there. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is how I feel. If the situation's going okay, I'm happy. Situation not, I'm not happy. Joy is not a feeling. It is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything For the believer's good and his, that is God's own glory. And thus all is well no matter what the circumstances. Notice this author's trying not to ignore situations and circumstances of life. But what he does say is that joy is a deep down confidence and an absolute trust in the sovereign control of God. And knowing it's going to work out for our good eventually And to God's glory, if we can keep that in mind, no matter what the situation of life is, then we understand how to relieve anxiety. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself with with jewels. Did you notice there how that author of Isaiah and the prophet says 
uh, I can rejoice. Why? Why can I exult in my God? Because of the garments of salvation. Hey, if nothing else, we stop and we say, as a New Testament church, God has brought about salvation. I ought to rejoice in the fact that he would do that. But then he talks about this righteousness that God gives. I love Psalm 94, 19. Maybe this is where you're at right now. Maybe you can identify with the author. Psalm 94 says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations, your word basically delight my soul. You notice what the author's saying? He didn't just have one worry. He didn't just have one anxious thought. He said they're multiplying. There may be some of you that say, I don't understand it. I, it, I haven't even got done dealing with this thing, and now I got this thing, and now I got this thing. I've also found out at the basics, sometimes uh, I, I find it very interesting that when I get relieved of one anxious thought, I think, oh, wow, what a break. Now I get a, and all of a sudden there's another one. I just wonder if that's what life is all about, is day by day, over and over, trusting God as I go through these situations of life. Isn't it interesting that the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 says this. If you haven't memorized it, it ought to be worth memorizing. Count it all joy when you encounter various circumstances. And what's interesting is about that is that James is not saying if you encounter circumstances and situations and trials he says when you encounter them they're coming that's why i said if you haven't experienced anything that would cause you anxious right now i'll guarantee it's coming it's coming are you ready are you prepared for it so here we are with this attitude of knowing that we don't have an option But I also think it's kind of interesting that in verse 5, the first part of it, I always wondered why that verse was there. It just seems out of place where he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Here's the thing I think, and it's because joy is an essential attitude in our response to others. Had these two gals had that joy of relationship with one another in verse 1, they would not have had the disharmony they had. And I think Paul throws that in there on purpose. We need to have gentle spirits and get along with one another. Why? Because the Lord's near. There's a couple different options on that. One is that uh, he's near to our hearts. That's true. But also that his coming is near. I think it's getting more near every day. Amen? I look around the corner and I say, man, Lord, you've got to come. It's just reality. Joy is something the Proverbs says brings healing to our souls. So Paul's not using something that's just out of the blue. He knows that this attitude of this deep down confidence in God uh, allows us the ability to trust him through these situations and we can have joy. That's the joy we have in that respect. So if you want to find relief to anxiety, I think one of the first things we we need to do is look at our circumstances with a consistent, joyful attitude. Second, if we want to find relief from worry, we need to pray fervently regarding our anxious thoughts. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verses 6 and 7. I want to read that to you here, verses 6 and 7. Again, be anxious for nothing, or don't be anxious about anything. It might be another way of saying it. 
But here's what you do. And I, I love it when the scripture just... You don't have to try to second guess. You don't have to try and figure it out. It's just right. It's, it's, it's boldly right in front of your face. Here it is. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and if you have not read the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you need to do that. But this is what this man uh, during World War II prisoner uh, once said. It matters little what form of prayer we adopt or how many words we use. I want to stop there just kind of make my own comment on that. There there are a lot of people that feel like you have have to have a certain, certain type of prayer to pray. You've you got to have a form, and you've got to repeat those words exactly like that. Uh, I, and I don't really care if you do that or not, but I'm just, that's what he's saying. You don't, we don't, it doesn't matter what kind of form you adopt. But he also says how many words we use. Uh, keep that in mind. This is what he says. What matters is the faith which lays hold of God, knowing that he knows our needs before we ask him. That is what gives the Christian prayer its boundless confidence, and notice this, joyous certainty. By laying hold of the faith and the trust in the one who can overcome whatever it is that's causing me the anxiousness. Now, in these two verses, Paul tells us what not to do, and then he tells us what to do. Okay? I should say, and the third thing is, Uh, what happens and the outcome of that. For what we are not to do is simply this. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. That's what the scripture says. Remember, this is a command also, not a suggestion. Stop doing it. I mean, if you're there, stop doing it. If you aren't there, but the situation comes, don't even start. That's his point. It really forbids that which is going on. How we handle worry, I believe, is the barometer of our trust in God. Do we or don't we? And I, it's jerked me up many, many a time to be able to say, Bob, where is your real faith? Is it in your ability to try to work this thing out or sweat your way through it? Or is God really the one who's in charge of this? Because anxiousness and worry and panic and fear always always deal with how we feel and how we think. It is always interesting to me how many people are struggling physically, emotionally, mentally because of an anxious situation in their lives. Now, I want to be honest with you. It doesn't mean the problems are going to go away. To say, I have faith, I believe in the sovereign control of God, in this. The trials may not vanish. When James wrote to count it all joy when you encountered these various trials, it was with the idea that you understand they're still there. They may not go away. You know, the situation may not quit. The, the difficulties that are tempting you to fear for in whatever way may not be alleviated. But here's the thing. You can live without worry. 
how many counseling situations would be taken care of quickly without paying $100, $200, $300 an hour to have somebody tell you something that's just going to bring you back into the office tomorrow again? If we could just simply say, yeah, I can get over this. I can live without this worry. I can conquer whatever the fear is. I can deal with whatever it is that is panicking me. Now, here's the thing. When you look at this word in verse 6, anxious, which is the word that New American Standard Bible uses, that word anxious means a division or a share in something. It divides something in share. If I had a piece of pie up here or had a pie up here and I divided it up and I shared it, I would be dividing it in that way. It, it kind of meant to originally apportion something out, to be occupied. It came then to mean eventually uh, in, in relationship, it meant to be distracted. Okay? And here's, here's the problem. Habitual worrying happen, happens in the lives of all believers. And it's often seen as a word, this word anxious, as feeling uneasy about something, to be troubled. Here's, here's what I think ultimately came to mean. It came to mean to be pulled in different directions. It, it, it meant to be divided by having one area over here and another area over here. And here's the two areas I think might be Paul's mind. We have this area that we are struggling with, we are anxious about, we are troubled with, and it's constantly there, it's bothering us, it's keeping us awake. And then we have this area over here that, as a believer, says, I need to trust, I need to have faith. And we're being pulled. And that situation coming at us is pulling us, either this direction or that direction, and most of the time we get swayed this way. That's the word here. Anxieties pull us from trusting in our God to leaning on our own understanding. Isn't it interesting what Proverbs 3 says? Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, that is God, and he will do what? He will direct your path. It strangles us emotionally. Because remember, remember that main thought. Anxious thoughts are relieved in an abiding trust in God. So here Paul is saying, don't be anxious about it. Stop doing it if you're doing it. Don't start if you haven't got to that point. But what does he say we ought to do? Well, in three, three ways, and we don't have time to go into all of them, but in three ways he says talk to God. Talk to God. So he talks about prayer, which is just general communication with God. Supplication, that's letting, you know, suppli- uh, uh, supplementing on somebody else, maybe a situation that's going on, or somebody else, maybe they're the ones that are causing it. And then he uses the word requests. Let God know. We got to be talking to God. But you notice there's one little, two words in there that I skipped over. How do we do this? How do we talk with God about these anxious thoughts? With thanksgiving. And I know, I know you're thinking right now, are you, you got to be kidding. Do you know what I'm going through and you want me to be thankful? For it? Well, I don't know you have to be thankful for the situation. Be, be thankful that you have a God who's over the situation. But with thanksgiving, matter of fact, I told somebody the other day what I was going to be preaching on this morning and, you know, worries and anxieties and, and praying. He said, you, you're going to talk about thanksgiving, right? I said, yeah, that's what the text says. Interestingly enough, 
don't be anxious, stop being anxious, but in talking with God with thanksgiving, let that request be made known to God. Tell him about it. He's a God who doesn't need to know, but he needs you to voice it. I think there's something spiritually therapeutic about going to God in prayer and saying, God, I'm struggling with this thing. And I'm thankful you are a God who's in control. I'm thankful you're aware of the situation. I'm thankful that however this works out, it will work out to the best of my good from you, and you will be glorified in. I'm thankful, God, for that. Interesting, with a thankful heart. But verse 7 gives you the outcome, and this is where I think we all want to be when it comes to anxiousness and worries and things that drive us nuts and panic us. And that is having peace. Because that's the one thing we don't have. I, I just think there's, there's something about when I'm laying awake at night at 3 o'clock in the morning and I have this thing on my mind, but then I stop after I've prayed and realize, God, you've got this. Matter of fact, I think if God could speak to me audibly, he would probably say these words to me, Bob, I've got this. And so I repeat those words, okay, God, I recognize from Scripture, I recognize your ability, you've got a handle on this thing. And there's something that just kind of comes over you that's just peace. And notice what he says about this peace. It's a peace we can't truly understand. Jesus said, it's a peace that the world does not comprehend. The peace that he gives. The peace of our relationship with him. The peace that he's our, he's our heavenly father. He knows what's best. He gives to us what's best. He will walk us through these things. He will give a peace that will then guard us. It will guard the hearts, the emotional aspect that just gets us worked up. And it will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. There's so much more we can say about that, but I just want to leave that point with you. We need to rejoice consistently and see that as a, as a hallmark of our continual attitude. But also we need to pray fervently with thanksgiving day by day by day in these situations that we go through in that situation. Matter of fact, uh, I'm not going to be there long, but would you hold your finger there and go to Matthew? You know, Paul talks about this, but I don't know if you know this, but Jesus talked about this subject too. Matthew chapter 6. I, I really want to look at one verse. Uh, in there. In chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, in, in Jesus' sermon uh, on the mount, and he, he talks about this anxiously. He talks about worrying about how you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all of, all of those different things. And, and you could fill in the blank. He just grabs a couple things from life, but fill in the blank as to what would cause you to be anxious. Jesus said in verse 25, don't be worried about anything. Uh, and he says he'll take care of you. He gives some illustrations. Uh, lilies of the field, uh, in that respect. Uh, the birds of the air. He says, verse 33, actually two verses I want to say. Verse 33, you've got to seek him first. 
and then he'll take care of it. You seek him first. But notice verse 34. This is so practical. So, do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why do I want to pick up tomorrow's trouble when I've got enough trouble today? And the whole implication of this passage by Jesus is, trust me. Don't be worried. I take care of the birds. I take care of the lilies of the field. I will take care of you. Don't worry about the troubles that will probably never, ever happen. And if something does happen, guess what? He's still there. He didn't desert us. He didn't leave us. So when it comes to anxieties, let's note first, we've got to rejoice consistently. And second, pray fervently with thanksgiving. Third, I don't think Paul stops there because there's something implied here that we need to do. And, and that is we need to think biblically. Think biblically. Usually in the midst of anxieties and difficulties and worries, we're not thinking biblically. We're, we're not rationalizing what God's word has to say through the situation. We're just, we got all kinds of things going on. I don't know about you, but my imagination just goes wild. My wife says that, Bob, you got a vivid imagination. Think biblically. And we do that in two areas. I think this is really how Paul does this. First, we need to cultivate our minds to ponder biblical truths and virtues. That's what Paul does. When in, in, verses eight, in verse 8, he basically says, let me give you a list of things. What, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, anything excellence, anything worthy of praise, those are, by the way, kind of a, a very short summary of all the things. If you took all those things, you could span them out into the 66 books of the Bible. He says this, and this is a command, dwell on these things. In other words, spend time on these things. Someone just in recent days said, Bob, how do you do that? I said, you do that by meditating. Well, how do you meditate? I said, well, you, first of all, you don't do it by sitting on the floor, crossing your legs, spacing your mind out to never, never land. That's a good way to devil to get a hold of your thoughts, life. Don't do that. Get the Word of God, read it over, read it over, read it over, memorize it, and ponder it. That's what Paul says. Dwell, ponder, settle your mind on this particular thing. He, he lists some things that we can do. Expand it toward the Word of God. A biblical mindset is what we need to have. Isaiah 26.3 states, The steadfastness of mine you will keep in perfect peace. The mind that steadfastness on God and thinking about God and knowing God and living by faith in God is the mind that will have peace. A biblical mindset raises up these godly characteristics that are here. And there are many others in scripture as we're reading it that we can concentrate on but to think about them and the character of what they are because anxious thoughts are relieved 
in an abiding trust in God, and what better way than to trust in his word that we are pondering and putting into our heart day by day. But second, it's not just cultivating our minds on biblical truths. That's important and number one priority. Second, we need to follow the lives of those who are living out biblical truths. We need to follow the lives of those who are living out biblical truths and virtues. Notice what Paul says. He could have stopped at the end of verse 8. But he says, the things that you have, and noticed his example, you have learned them from me. Uh, they have been taught to you. Well, how do you teach people how to rejoice consistently, how to pray fervently through your situations, how to dwell on these situations that would cause you to be panicked if you aren't going through them so that people can learn from them? It's not just theory in a classroom teaching. He'd been there. He says the things that you have learned, the things that you have received, I've, I've, I've given them to you. The things that you have heard me say, the things you've seen in my very life. He says, I want you to practice these things. It's his way of saying, I have been through all of this. You have seen how I have handled it. Now I want you to take what you have seen and I want you to practice it. Other places Paul would say, imitate me, follow me. But he would say, as I follow Christ. So Paul's trust and confidence was in Christ, and they saw his confidence in Christ. Follow, follow that. A biblical mindset lives out those traits that are evidenced in godly people. Can I say this on a practical level? If you have not done this yet, look around. Find a godly person who has exhibited their trust and their faith in God in those type of situations that would panic you, that would panic them, that would cause trouble and discouragement and how they have handled it and buddy up alongside that person. Talk with them. Have them pray for you. Be accountable to them. You will find great encouragement. That is what Paul is saying. And then practice it. You know the best way to get good at something? Practice it. Let me give you a practical illustration. Since I was nine years old, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And that was not just theoretical way out in the blue. Uh, my dad had built a backstop. Uh, I played baseball from nine years old to the time I was through high school. I had a, a desire. That was my passion. I hated school. I wanted to get through school so I could be in the pros. But Dad built a backstop for us, and he was one of our little league coaches. But uh, every day after school when I got my homework done, I would be, you would see me out in the field if it wasn't pouring down rain in western Washington, which wasn't very often, so you had to do things in the rain. But I was out in that field. I was running from base to base to base, sliding, popping up just like the majors did. I practiced it. I practiced it, and I got good at it. I would throw from the outfield to home base so that I could either bounce it to the plate or get it right on the plate. I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. You never become good at anything if you don't practice. As Christians, we need to look at the lives of others around us and practice what they have learned, and they need to be our example. And then when we take those things in as we're going, and then notice what he says, the last few words in verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. That's a guarantee. 
The God of peace will be with you. You see, my friends, worry and anxiety do exact a toll on our lives. The best remedy for worry and for anxieties is a joyful attitude, is a prayer life of thanksgiving, and is a biblical life that is thinking and dwelling on God and his word. I want to close with this. The story is told that in 1886, Daniel Towner was leading the music during one of Moody's, uh, Dwight Moody's preaching campaigns in Massachusetts. During the service, a young man stood up to give a testimony, and this was his words. I quote, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to obey. Towner jotted down the words, and then he sent them to his friend, John Samus, who was a Presbyterian pastor. And the, the story's told that Samus, using the words of this short testimony, wrote to him that we know today, or at least I believe most of you would know it, trust and obey. Trust and obey. I'm saddened to be able to say that most churches don't know this song. I'm saddened because it's got such a message to it. Here's what he wrote. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. But it's this, these words that I like. Not a shadow can rise. Not a cloud in the skies. But his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt, nor a fear, nor a sigh, nor a tear. Or can I add, not an anxious moment can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Now, the author uses these words, to be happy in Jesus, which is a biblical terminology. But let's throw the way, to be joyful, maybe in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That is our clarion call today, to trust, to put our hope, to put our confidence in a God who's in sovereign control. Let me leave you with these three things. First one's a question. What are some ways you can find to develop biblical, godly ways for a joyful attitude? Maybe that's one way to leave it. What, what, what am I doing to build that joyful attitude in my life. Perhaps you need to begin or maybe continue uh, exercising a thankful attitude in prayer as a regular habit. Maybe that means by writing things down daily. Maybe a, a journal uh, where you are praying through this. Maybe it might be even somebody else that you know that's really struggling with that, where you could become their prayer partner. Uh, perhaps a, a third thing would be to Practice pondering biblical truths by not only reading scripture daily, but by memorizing it and meditating upon it, taking it with you wherever you go. And as those situations come into your life, you're able to go directly to the heart that you have memorized through this scripture and be able to draw it to yourself. There are, there are good practical ways that we can, we can do this. And I, I think I'm one as an example that can tell you we can relieve our anxieties, uh, and we can face them with the certainty that God will give us a peace that people around us might even look to you and say, I don't understand. How can you do this? And you can say, well, I can't, but I have a God that can. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you 
we're all dealing with that practical side of uh, life uh, and situations that would, would cause us to be anxious, that would cause us to worry. Lord, may we hear on a constant basis uh, Jesus and Paul's words to not do that, but to turn our mind and turn our thoughts to you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to realize that relief from these things comes as a result of being obedient to being joyful in a God that cares, and a God who can take care of whatever situation we face. It comes in having an intimate relationship with you through prayer and praying for ourselves, praying for others, but talking with you on a regular basis with a, with a thankful attitude. And Lord, it means dwelling uh, consistently on your word that provides us with that uh, reassuring, um, tranquil aspect of our lives. Lord, help us as we go through these times and as we face them uh, to practice diligently uh, the things that we know to be right. And uh, Lord, we would give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.